morning. All right. If you are new here with us this morning or you happen to be visiting and you don't know me, my name is Tyler Miller and I'm the associate pastor here at Bethel. Um, for the past few weeks, we've been going through a series called Faith in the Local Church. Uh, and, and that title has a bit of a dual meaning. So faith in the local church, as in faith, trust in the local church. We really believe in the local church and what we're doing here, our, our local little flock, as we'll see today here at Bethel, and also faith in the local church, as in the sense that we are believers who are in the local church. So a dual meaning. And we've already explored a few of those themes uh, the past few weeks. So we looked at the fact that we are Christ's body, we are God's family, we are Christ's bride, and we are God's dwelling place. So if you missed any of those messages, I would encourage you to uh, go track those down on the website and listen to those. Um, but today we're going to work our way through John 10, 1 to, 1 to 21, and consider just the, the wonderful truth that we are Christ's flock. And I don't want us to merely just recognize coldly uh, some mere type of head knowledge that we're Jesus' flock. I want us to celebrate it. Like, I, I hope that we that we leave here filled up to the brim with happiness and thankfulness and wonder that we're Jesus' sheep, that he is our good shepherd. So that said, if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to John 10, 1 to 21. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 896. And if you would, please stand with me um, for the reading of the word. So that's John 10, 1 to 21 page 896 in the Pew Bible. This is the word of the Lord to us. In verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold or does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a, div a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You can have a seat. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, the great shepherd of the flock. Thank you for giving us abundant life through faith in him. God, we pray that you would meet with us here this morning, that you would um, protect me from error as I preach your word, that your word would go forth with power and clarity, and God, that we would leave here rejoicing because we have a faithful, loving shepherd in Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us and rose triumphantly from the grave. So we pray these things in his name. Amen. So in in 2004, a wildly popular television show called Lost began. I don't know how many of you here this morning have seen Lost, um, but in the show, a group of individuals miraculously survive a plane crash. That's how the show begins, and they land on this mysterious island. And one of the survivors is a spinal surgeon, and his name is Jack Shepard. And he quickly becomes the leader of this group of survivors on this mysterious island. And, you know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the sermon this week, and I don't know this for sure, but it's interesting to me that the writers of the show chose to give this guy the last name Shepard. If I had to guess, I wouldn't guess that that's by coincidence. In the show, this character named Jack, he's clearly a shepherd-like figure. Uh, He's a knowledgeable, capable guy, capable guy, and many of the people, um, but not all, look to him for guidance leadership. They follow his direction. And throughout the series, he has ups and downs as a leader. Uh, In some ways, he grows in his role. And by the end of the show, and and if you're currently watching it or you plan to watch it, spoiler alert here, Um, but it ended in 2010, so you've had a bit of time to watch it, so don't feel that bad about it. Um, So by the end of the show, um, Jack ends up um, going head-to-head with this character called the Man in Black. Uh, and he does it to, to save this mysterious island and his friends. And he defeats this character. He defeats this bad guy, the man in black. But he does it at the cost of his own life. And so the show ends right where it starts. At the beginning of the show in the first episode, like, the screen opens up with Jack laying on his back. He's laying on the ground. He has survived this plane crash and his eyes open. And so at the end of the show, uh, in the finale, the way that it ends is... Jack is laying on the ground in the same spot, dying, and he's looking up and his eyes close. Um, And I think those kind of things, as I've thought through it, um, resonate with us. Like our our culture has a way of hinting, of of attempting to get at in, in one way or another truths that we see in the story, like the Bible. And I think this is one of them. In many ways, this guy Jack is a shepherd-like figure, Um, but you know he's still flawed in the show. But the thing is, Jesus, Jesus, God's son, is the true shepherd, and he is not flawed. He's flawless. He's the perfect shepherd of the flock who knows, loves, and cares for his sheep. And to save his flock, he not only lays down his life for the sheep, but he does so so that he might take it up again. No other would-be shepherds can say that. Um, Jesus alone is worthy to, to be worshipped and followed. And so our main thought uh, for this morning is we must joyfully follow him, Jesus, the shepherd of the flock. And in John 10, our text for this morning, uh, I think the text gives us at least three, three reasons why that's true. So we'll examine each one of those in turn 
and then we'll consider some implications for our local flock here at Bethel as we close. So the first reason we should joyfully follow Jesus is he's the shepherd of the sheep. So in verses uh, 1 to 6 of chapter 10, Jesus' figure of speech centers on a sheepfold, which was an enclosure where multiple flocks of sheep were kept. So the sheepfold in this this picture has a gatekeeper and a door by which the shepherds must enter. So picture just a large enclosure. Uh, Inside the enclosure are multiple flocks of sheep. And the way that you get into this enclosure, the way that a shepherd would get his sheep, is he's got to go through the gate. Uh, And the gate is manned by a a gatekeeper. And so the figure of speech that Jesus gives, it highlights and contrasts uh, two types of people, thieves and robbers on the one hand and the shepherd on the other. So instead of entering by the door, the thieves and robbers climb over the enclosure, presumably to steal or harm the sheep. But the shepherd of the sheep enters through the door. The gatekeeper lets him in and he calls his particular sheep by name and then he leads them out of the enclosure and they follow him because they know his voice. They know him He knows them. They don't know the voice of strangers. So what does all of that mean? Well, with a figure of speech like this, I think we need to be careful not to press all of the details and try to find meaning where it might not be there. But I think the context uh, surrounding this passage can help us out a bit here. So at this point in John, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's continuing to face resistance and opposition from the Jewish religious leadership. So just before this passage in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And instead of rejoicing over the miracle, the Pharisees in the text um, uh, oppose Jesus. They complain that Jesus healed the guy on the Sabbath. uh, And they say that Jesus can't be from God. They don't do what the man who was healed does. The man who was healed worships Jesus. He recognizes him as the promised son of man and presumably follows him. But the religious leaders do the opposite. They complain. They oppose Jesus. And then when they question the man who Jesus healed and the man defends Jesus, the leaders excommunicate him. They kick him out of the synagogue on the spot. So directly on the heels of that text, directly on the heels of what just happened in John chapter 9, you read in John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So I think it's likely that the thieves and the robbers in the figure of speech Jesus gives refers to the the religious leaders who oppose Jesus and who harm Jesus' people. Uh, They're like the shepherds of Israel who God condemns in Ezekiel 34. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, Um, Ezekiel 34, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 722. So there, in that text, in verses 2 to 6, it says this. This is God's condemnation of the shepherds of his people. Starting in verse 2. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. 
my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So that's a harsh condemnation of the shepherds at the time. But Jesus isn't like the thief and the robbers. Jesus is the shepherd. He's the one who knows his sheep by name, individually. He leads them out of the sheepfold. He cares for them. This too, I think, recalls Ezekiel 34. So after listing the uh, harmful actions of Israel's shepherds in that text, God makes some very, very rich promises for his sheep. So if you're still there, uh, look in verse 11 and following. There the text says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then skip to verse 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So we don't have time to unpack everything that's there in Ezekiel 34. But what seems plain is that God condemns the shepherds of his people Israel for their poor, harsh leadership. And he promises to undo all the harm that they've caused. Uh, And moreover, he promises a Davidic shepherd, a Messiah to come, who will care for and lead his flock. So then, do you see what's happening in John 10, 1 to 6? I think Jesus is aligning the religious leaders at the time with the thieves and robbers in the figure of speech. They're like the poor religious shepherds of Israel in the past. They're not caring for the sheep. Instead of being good, faithful shepherds, They're more like thieves and robbers who harm the flock. And I think Jesus is centering the focus on himself as the promised shepherd who will lead and care for his sheep. They will follow him. They won't flee. They'll know his voice, not the voice of strangers. And the sheepfold here, I think, refers to ethnic Israel. Um, It doesn't yet refer to the inclusion of the Gentiles. We'll get that later in this text. But right now, I think it's ethnic Israel. But... Even that said, Jesus is the shepherd of his flock. While he hasn't yet mentioned the inclusion of the Gentiles, he will later in the text. So if we're trusting him for the forgiveness of, his sin, of our sins, we're part of his flock. And I think, therefore, there are some things that we can do in response to these verses. One is rejoice that Jesus is our shepherd. Um, it's hard to read John 10 and not walk away rejoicing. We have a good shepherd who loves and cares for his flock. Jesus isn't like the poor shepherds of the time. Like John 9 paints a perfect picture of poor shepherding and poor leadership. But Jesus doesn't treat his people like that. Jesus isn't harsh. He doesn't selfishly meet his own needs while ignoring the needs of his sheep. 
Instead, he's the Messiah who lovingly cares for and feeds his flock. And he knows each one of them. He knows each one of us. If you are trusting in him today intimately, he knows you by name. That's, that's wonderful. And we should think on those things. We should overflow with joy at that. So this week, meditate on John 10. Meditate on the text we read before this, that Todd read, Psalm 23, that the Lord is your shepherd. He makes you lie down in green pastures. But also, this text can uh, help us see our need to follow Jesus and to run from other voices, other would-be shepherds. So remember that Jesus' sheep hear his voice and follow him, but they flee from strangers because they don't know the voice of strangers. Does that characterize you today? Are you following Jesus wholeheartedly or are you listening to other voices? What other voices are you listening to? What other voices are seeking to draw you away from God, your true shepherd? Ask God this week to help you identify what those things are. Share those things with your accountability partners, your home group, um, and uh, confess sin where needed and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Run to him. He is a good, good shepherd. So we should follow him joyfully because one, he's the shepherd of the sheep, but two, because he's the door of the sheep. Look with me in verses 7 to 10 of John 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So in seven, verses 7 to 10, I think Jesus changes the picture a little bit. Um, again, though, we have two primary parties uh, who stand in contrast with each other. You've got the thieves and the shepherd, or the thieves and the robbers, and the door of the sheep. So in verses 1 to 6, the thieves and the robbers, I think, likely refer to the blind religious leaders at the time who harshly ruled over their people. But now, in verses 7 to 10, I think the thieves and the robbers, it seems more likely that they would refer to those whom D.A. Carson in his commentary on John says are messianic pretenders who promise the people freedom but who lead them into war, suffering, and slavery. So when Jesus says then in verse 8 that all who came before him are thieves and robbers, I don't think he's saying that every shepherd who came before him was a thief and a robber. Uh, instead, um, I think um, what's happening, and, and this is a comment that I found helpful. It's by Donald Guthrie in his commentary on John. He says, the most probable meaning is that any who came before Jesus and claimed to be the only way in were false, a reference to the many false messiahs, or as D.A. Carson calls it, messianic pretenders, with whom the history of the period abounded. So the thieves and the robbers then, in verses 7 to 10, seem to be those people who make false claims to be the Messiah, who make false claims of deliverance that they can't carry out. And these false claims would often lead, lead people to uh, battle, to conflict, um, sometimes presumably to death. And standing in contrast to them, those who promised deliverance but couldn't deliver, is the door of the sheep, Jesus himself. This image has a very exclusive sense. Uh, and as the door, Jesus is the true and only way to enter the sheepfold, the only way to enter the flock. So as he says in verse 9, 
if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's a very exclusive claim. So it's similar to Jesus' statement in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the comparisons continue. So while the thief steals, kills, and destroys, Jesus came, he says, so that his flock would have life and life abundantly. So remember that passage we read in Ezekiel 34? You don't have to turn back there, but in verses 14 to 15, again, hear what God says. He's he's overturning the poor leadership of the shepherds of Israel. And God says, I will feed them, that's my sheep, with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. That's abundant life. And that's what Jesus promises to every sheep in his flock. It doesn't mean that as his sheep we're going to get everything we want. It does mean, though, that we'll get everything we need. It doesn't mean that we're going to have good health, um, perfect, like spotless little families, um, lots of money. Um, But it does mean that we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry because the God of the universe is our shepherd. And he's going to do what's best for us. And it does mean that we can, even now, like starting today, have meaningful, full lives of joy. Again, um, I found D.A. Carson's commentary helpful. He said this, Within the metaphorical world, life to the full, abundant life, suggests fat, contented, flourishing sheep, not terrorized by brigands. Outside the narrative world, it means that the life Jesus' true disciples enjoy is not to be construed as more time to fill, merely everlasting life, but life at its scarcely imagined best. So abundant life, uh, life everlasting through Jesus. It's not merely more days. Uh, It's not merely just the promise of more days. It's the promise of full days, of full days living for the Lord. So if you're here today, and if you aren't a Christian, uh, let the truths of these verses right here really sink in. You can't find rest and peace and meaning and salvation anywhere other than Jesus. You may have tried, or you may currently be trying to find your worth in things like success, and money, pleasure, power, approval, um, but none of those things are going to satisfy you in the end. You're going to have to keep coming back to them over and over and over. You will be a slave to them. They can't save you. But Jesus can. So don't reject him. Run to him in faith. He is a good shepherd and he's the door of the sheep. He's ready and willing to save you, to bring you into his flock, to give you abundant, full life. So if that's you this morning, if you're not trusting in Jesus, please make that today. Turn in faith to Christ today and receive life. If you'd like to talk further about Jesus, about salvation, uh, I'm available after the service. Come and grab me. I'd love to talk with you then. Or uh, if you'd like, I'd love to um, go get coffee with you or something later in the week. But for the believers here today, 
If you're currently feeling weighed down, like burdened, discouraged, joyless, just tired, uh, or maybe um, burnt out, just stagnant, cold, like even, like hear, hear this text. Ask God to fill you up with joy. Remember what Jesus says in, the, in these verses. He came so that you would have life and have it abundantly. If that's how you're feeling today, depressed, tired, Jesus came so that you would have life and life abundantly. That is a rich, full promise that you need to cling to, that we all need to cling to. So ask God to fill you up with joy in Christ. Think about this text. Go to work, go to school, parent your kids knowing that what you do has real lasting value, that you can live a full, happy life to the glory of God as you go about your daily tasks for His glory and the good of others. And if you're struggling, talk to your home group leaders. Talk to me or one of the other pastors here. We would love to help you and encourage you however we can. So we should joyfully follow Jesus, one, because He's the shepherd of the sheep. Two, because He's the door of the sheep. And then three, because He's the good shepherd. So look with me at verses 11 to 21 here. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also when they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So that's a reference there at the end of what happened in John 9 when Jesus opened the blind man's eyes. But the religious leaders aren't getting it. They don't understand. Some of them say he has a demon. Others don't seem to be too sure what to do with him. But here, uh, in verses 11 to 21, um, Jesus is the good shepherd. And again, he he slightly changes the story um, in these verses and following. Again, there are two characters that stand in conflict to each other uh, or in contrast to each other. This time, on the one hand, you have the hired hand, and on the other hand, you have the good shepherd. So let's consider the hired hand first. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep, so he doesn't care for them like the owner does. So when the sheep are threatened, when the wolf comes, he doesn't stay to protect them. Like, he saves his own skin. He gets out of there. He runs. And so what happens to the sheep? And then when they're left without a protector, without a shepherd, the wolf snatches and scatters them. But that's not how Jesus, the good shepherd, reacts. He's entirely unlike the hired hand because he knows, loves, and cares for his sheep. And his sheep 
know him. So when the sheep are threatened, when Jesus is your shepherd, he doesn't run. He stays and protects his sheep from the wolf. And he protects his sheep, uh, not by taking up arms, but Jesus protects his sheep by laying down his life. He's a strong, loyal shepherd who fiercely protects his flock. As he says in verse 18, he does this willingly. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. He has the authority from the Father to lay his life down, and he has the authority from his Father to take it up. And he does all of this for his sheep who know him. Those are truths that we saw in verses 3 to 4, but they're now intensified because Jesus says that his sheep know him as he and the Father know each other. That is an intense intimate, relational, real knowledge. And so these things too, I think, are somewhat reminiscent of what we saw in Ezekiel 34 again. There God calls out Israel's shepherds for their poor leadership. He says that his sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. But later in that text, when he looks forward to the Davidic shepherd that's to come, he says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. I am the Lord, or I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So Jesus is indeed the very good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And importantly, he doesn't just die for the sheepfold of ethnic Israel. So if you remember at the beginning here, when we looked at verses 1 through 6, I said that I think the sheepfold there referred to ethnic Israel, but now it's expanded. So now Jesus says that he's he's bringing in other sheep. He says in verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. That's the Gentiles. That's the non-Jews. So this results in having one flock made up of people who follow Jesus and one shepherd, Jesus himself. And so while that emphasis, while the emphasis here in John 10 is, I think, certainly on the universal church, all believers in Christ, I think there are still some implications that we can draw for our little flock, our local flock here at Bethel. So if Jesus is our shepherd, what is it? practically mean for us here? Let me suggest uh, a few things. So one, we must always, always, always follow Jesus with joy. I think that in and of itself has implications on both the personal and a corporate level for us. So personally, we need to do the things that we know to do, that God calls us to do. Pray, read and meditate on Scripture As we sing earlier in Come Thou Fount, we're like sheep. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to leave the God we love. We know this. We know that we fall captive to sin every day. And we need to fight. We need to fight by praying and asking God to help us, asking him to keep and lead us. We need to fight by seeking him in his word We can't follow his voice if we don't know what it sounds like. We need to hear from him in Scripture. 
Like he's giving his word to us. Why wouldn't we want to read it all the time, every day? So I think that we, as a body, uh, can grow uh, in those areas um, more and more, ever increasingly. But I think we also need to follow Jesus in our homes, uh, at work, at school, whatever your life circumstance. So in your life this week, you'll undoubtedly hear other voices uh, calling for your affection. The question for you is, whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to follow Jesus, your shepherd, or are you going to listen to other pretend shepherds who can't really save you? Those voices that say, what if we don't have enough money? Those voices that say, my work situation is really hard. It's just drudgery. I hate it. Mm. Those voices that say, I'm really struggling with my kids. I try to lead them, and they're just not listening. It seems like what I'm teaching them is just not sinking in. Voices like, I don't need to be a light for Christ in my workplace or at school. It's fine. Uh, I can go there, go about my business, come away unscathed, and say nothing, and it'll be okay. What will they think about me if I say something? Are we going to listen to those voices? Are we going to listen to the voice of Christ who loves us, who leads us, who cares for us? Follow Jesus and remember that because of what he's done, we can have abundant, full life through faith in him. So this week, go about those regular duties on your plate with joy, knowing that what you do, whether it's parenting, whether it's going to school, whether it's working in a cubicle for eight hours a day, those things have real value and meaning and purpose as you do those wholeheartedly for the glory of God. You don't have to be a leader in the church for your vocation to have purpose. What we do, all of our work, has purpose and real meaning. So go about that wholeheartedly this week. Live for Christ where you are. And then one specific thing I want to say here for dads and husbands. Men, you're the shepherds in your homes. You have a responsibility to lead your families, to lead your wives and children well. To follow the leadership of Jesus, your chief shepherd, daily die to yourself and proclaim the gospel faithfully in your house. Think intentionally about that as you go away from here. How can you personally grow as a shepherd in your home? This is an area where we all need to grow, where we all need Jesus' help. So think about that. Pray about those things. Ask for God's help. But it also has implications for us as a corporate body. So specifically here, I think we could probably say a few things, but I'm thinking specifically of our little s shepherds in the church, um, our pastors here at Bethel. So that includes Chris, the lead pastor, myself, Bill Hughes, Jay Foggy, and Todd Metzger. We need your prayers. We want your prayers. We've been given the task of shepherding this flock, um, and like I said, we want you to regularly be praying for us. So this week, 
Look up Acts 20, 28. Look up 1 Peter 5, 2 to 3, and pray those things for your pastors here. So pray that we would follow our chief shepherd's leaning. In reference to Acts 28, pray that we would pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made us overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then in reference to 1 Peter 5, 2-3, pray that we would shepherd the flock of God that is among us, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have us, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in our charge, but being examples to the flock. So not being like the unfaithful, harsh shepherds of Israel, but being like our chief shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep. Uh, we, we covet your prayers there. So, Implications for us. We must always, always, always follow Jesus' leading with joy, but also we're part of the same universal and even the same local flock. We're all following the same shepherd, regardless of our past, regardless of our personality type, our ethnicity, our skin color, our Bible knowledge, our age, our job title. That is a beautiful and a wonderfully freeing thing for us here at Bethel. By faith in Christ, God has united us, all of us together in Jesus. And so we need to strive to maintain and deepen that unity. So the primary place that that's going to happen, and we say this a lot at Bethel, is home group. Invest in your home group. So this week even, uh, most home groups aren't meeting. Find a time when you can invite someone in your, in your group into your life. You're going to have dinner. Invite somebody over for dinner. You may be planning to go to the park or to the movie this weekend. Invite somebody in your group to come along with you. Start to share your life with them. This is where real, real life change can start to happen. So invest in your home group, but invest in the other believers here at the church at large. Like our Bible knowledge shouldn't affect that. Our age shouldn't affect that. Our ethnicity certainly shouldn't affect that. Um, we have the wonderful privilege of being united as Jesus' sheep. And so let's cultivate that here. Let's let Bethel be a warm place where relationships really thrive. And then lastly, we need to be watchful for, but not fear wolves. So I think it would be naive of us to think that wolves are not going to come into our midst here at Bethel. Satan wants to attack Jesus' sheep. He's like a lion seeking those whom he may devour. And so wolves um, will want to come in and harm us, I think. And so I think that we need to be watchful for that, all of us. So this responsibility certainly falls to the elders here at Bethel. We need to pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock to be watchful for the wolves that come in. But I think there are things that we can all do as a corporate body, as a congregation. We can seek to know God uh, more and more every day by reading and meditating on his word. So we can know our Bibles so that we can correct false teaching if we hear it. We can daily put on love 
put on love for God, put on love for neighbor, so that when we hear like, or, or see like these seeds of discord, seeds of gossip or disunity being sown, if that happens, we can lovingly correct it. So there are things that we can do. So let's know our Bibles. Let's put on peace and love uh, and let those things infiltrate our body here at Bethel so that if the wolf comes in, if seeds of discord start to be shown, they will get squelched out like, as quick as they begin. But in all of this, we don't have to fear. The sheep may get snatched when the hired hand runs away at the sight of the wolf, but we're sheep in Jesus' flock, and nobody can snatch us from his hand. So, as the men who are serving communion make their way to the front, um, let me read this, these verses for you today. I hope that these are things that you can rejoice in. This is John 10, uh, verses 28 and 29. There it says, I give them, the sheep, eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are indeed safe and secure in the hand of our good shepherd. Jesus lived the perfect life that we've all failed to live. He died the sacrificial death on behalf of the sheep, and he rose triumphantly from the grave three days later. And so every month we come together to take communion with each other. We do this to celebrate these truths um, that, that Jesus did everything that was necessary to bring us into his fold, to make us his sheep. And so if you're a believer here today, we invite you, we welcome you to join in this celebration with us. So in a moment, we're going to distribute the elements, the bread and the cup. If you're here today and you're not a believer, let me encourage you to let those elements pass you by. Uh, instead, come and see me after the service and let's set up a time to talk either today or later in the week. Um, but if you are a Christian, um, we encourage you to partake joyfully, to celebrate what Christ has done for you. So as the elements pass by, um, you'll take uh, the bread and you'll take the cup and hang on to it. Um, when everybody has been served, we'll come back together and um, share the meal together. So um, as we prepare for that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Bill, would you pray for us? Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your grace and your love and mercy towards us. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for dying on the cross to pay for our sins. And Father, as we partake of the, your table, help us to just confess our sins to you and help us to take what we've heard from Tyler this morning and apply it to our lives day by day. And just, we just thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.